0: And if you have any questions, you can email uh, questions, or maybe you want to serve, maybe you're interested uh, in getting to know about groups, uh, you can email all that stuff in and get sermon notes to today or past messages at info at bridgechurch.cc. You can share comments, and maybe you take selfies in church. I don't know. Is there any selfie takers in church? I know there's a few, okay? Uh, and, uh, and tag your comments with hashtag winindoubt for this series. Man, if I haven't told you already, it's an honor to be kicking this off. Pastor Farrell is going to kind of come in the next couple weeks in this series and kind of give some more practicalities of how to deal with doubt. I'm kind of cracking open the page here and, and kind of sharing a little bit uh, about the topic of doubt and just to give you a roadmap of where we're going. I'm going to share with you guys some personal areas that I kind of uh, tend to struggle with doubt myself. Uh, And then we're uh, next on our stop on our roadmap. We're going to talk about um, basically uh, the two postures that we can kind of look at our doubt when we're dealing with doubt. And one's good and one's not so good. And then we're going to talk about different ways that we doubt in the modern day time. So it's going to be a good day as we jump into scripture. I think one of the reasons um, that we wanted to go here and talk about doubt is because, you know, if you, if you watch Christians for a while, you'll kind of find out that from time to time we have what's called soul fatigue. You know what I mean by soul fatigue? It's like maybe we have certain doubts that um, we lay down, we, we have victory in certain areas. And you guys remember that song and sing it with me? She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. Here we go. She'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. Thank you for the six of you that sang with me. No, it's good. We'll stop there, okay? But us seven, we can audition for the band. No. um, So basically, sometimes when it comes to our doubts, it's just like that song. We lay them down, and we're like, yeah, man, I'm victorious in that area. And then we come right around again, and we so easily pick those things back up. And then we can do that in different areas. Maybe we're insecure about something, and we're like, man, I'm secure in that. I'm confident in who God's called me to be. And all of a sudden, something life happens, and we we pick that thing back up. And we're insecure again. Or maybe it's uh, with something we've overcome in our lives, and we're like, we lay it down. We're like, oh, man, I'm victorious, and I don't have to doubt in, in who God's called me to be. I don't have to, to doubt anymore that I'm going to go back to that thing. And then all of a sudden, we pick it back up. Or maybe um, we doubted God's love for us, or... We even maybe doubted that God was real, and so we realize, you know, God's awesome. He did something in our lives, and and all of a sudden we come right back around, and maybe somebody did something to hurt us. Maybe we got hurt in church, and we just kind of doubt that God really cares. And so sometimes our faith, what it is, we find out is really a little distant from what our faith should be. And so that's kind of where this series is going to kind of help us when we have those times of soul fatigue that kind of gnaw at us and cause us to doubt. All right, I'm going to take off my armor, put down my sword, my shield, shed some armor with you guys. I'm going to share two different areas in my life where I most often struggle with doubt. Okay, number one area I think in my life as I was studying for this, I think a tough thing for me is I sometimes doubt that God can use me. they are like, wait, a guy with a microphone in front of lots of people? Doubts God you can use them? Absolutely. Sometimes maybe I, I don't deal with something in my family the right way. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit too harsh with my children or something like that. Um, and I was like, man, God, can you really use me to grow these children up to really love you? God, am I going to mess this up? Or, you know, I work with a lot of uh, teens and, and volunteers, and sometimes I doubt, like, God, can you really use me to lead these people? What if I mess it up? You know, But it's good to know that despite my strengths, but also despite my weaknesses, that God can still use me. But sometimes, I'll be honest, I throw it down. And I'm confident in it. But I come right, right back around. And I pick it back up. And we can so often and easily do that. The other area for me that I can doubt personally is God, that God cares for my specific needs. When life kind of hits you and slaps you with a, with a problem... Man, you can kind of start to doubt. God, do you really care about this? Billions of people on the earth that are much more talented and better at things than I am. God, do you really care about this small thing? God, you've got a lot to worry about. There's bigger issues than my, someone in my family's surgery or, or what's going on with my finances. God, can you really care for my specific needs? Can you really show up in that way? God's proved to me time and time again that he can. He really has. I remember one time, um, my wife, uh, she watches children. And, and basically, um, the, the family she was watching the, these children for, um, the father could not find a, a job. He got let go all of a sudden, couldn't find a job. And so they said, we're, we're packing up. We're going to Virginia and stuff. And so we were faced with, do we tithe? Like, do we continually to do that thing? And, and we did. And long story short, she ended one job on Friday, and she started a new job on Monday. And so God's like, proves to me over and over, I can lay those things down. I don't have to pick them up, but we do sometimes. So, man, um, so what I want to do next is kind of go five different places that we can see that we most often doubt nowadays, okay? And I will tell you that um, there is a posture that we're supposed to approach doubt with. And, uh, and, and there's, there's a way that, that some people approach Jesus uh, with, with doubts. And, and they had two different postures. So, so, number one, don't be like these guys. But the, the second point, you can be like these guys, okay? Let me show you two kinds of doubters that we find in Scripture. Two kinds of doubters. The first ones that we find in Scripture that approached Jesus and brought their doubts to Him was skeptical, cynical doubters. Skeptical, cynical doubters. And these were a lot like the Pharisees in Scripture. We can look in Mark 8 where Jesus kind of kind of punked down some of the Pharisees and just, you know, he had issues with them because they didn't have the right heart. All right, so these were the cynical doubters. So don't take your posture when it comes to doubts in life as the same posture and as the same lens through which they viewed their doubts. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. Mark 8, verse 11. It says, then the Pharisees came and they began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked for a sign from heaven. Jesus sighed deeply. All right, when your children are acting up, you know that feeling. <sighs> Sighing deeply. Almost imagine it like the, the the Homer Simpson like forehead slap, like the you know, when his son would mess up, or uh, you know, so he sighed deeply and he said. Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Let me give you context of that verse. Jesus had just performed a massive miracle, okay? And these guys that were not sincere in, in their search for reality, these people that, that came up to him, these Pharisees, they actually enjoyed being cynical, all right? I'm glad those type of people don't exist anymore. I'll just tell you that. They do, okay. Okay. They had already seen all the signs they needed to see. Jesus had just performed a miracle uh, where he he fed 4,000 people with seven loaves and a few small fish. They had 70 baskets of food left over, right? He just performed that miracle, and they come up to him saying, Jesus, we want a sign. Like, what more do you need? I mean, really, right? The Pharisees, they didn't really want truth because they'd already had more than enough signs to give them answers. They didn't really want truth. They were just trying to be cynical. They had miracles in front of them, but they lacked one thing. What was that? A fundamental change of heart. And, uh, and so the second way of doubting, man, so don't approach your doubt with cynicism. You know what I mean? Don't approach your doubt with uh, just kind of you know, putting Jesus under that crux and trying to make him prove himself. He's already done that. Uh, Approach your doubt with this. This is the second type of doubting we see in Scripture, honest doubting. We see an honest doubter in Mark 9. And this is an excerpt um, from verses 20 to 27. And so basically what had happened is this man brought his son to Jesus. He had been afflicted and tormented by spirits. Uh, his son, the man's son was deaf. He could not uh, speak. And so he brings him to Jesus, verse 20. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. Verse 21, and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? Okay, doing a little assessment here and the father says from childhood, and Jesus said to him, all things are possible for one who believes. All right, he's testing his faith there a little bit and immediately the father child cried out and this is so beautiful, this is kind of where I I want to dwell in this passage. I believe, help me with my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus, I do believe, but there's some parts of me that are really struggling right now with this. All right, And so Jesus took the boy by the hand, lifted him up, and so that's an awesome model of how we see we're supposed to approach doubt in times with our lives. Don't approach it with cynicism. Approach it with an honest doubt and say, Jesus, I believe, but there's some parts of me that are struggling Right now, and I think that's the kind of honesty when we have our doubts, we bring them to Him. That Jesus really honors. Five ways that that Christians doubt today, and some of these will be kind of no-brainers, but some of these will um, be a, a little different and, and may challenge your thinking a little bit. So, this is the first one: bold and accurate teaching of Scripture. Bold and accurate te- teaching of Scripture. Okay, so basically, we come to church, and this is like hypothetical. Okay? situation okay sometimes you come to church and maybe you, you're shown about the holiness of God and how awesome he is and in the sinfulness and that we have in our lives and we see this high standard of living that we're supposed to adopt in our lives in scripture and and we're preached straight to and we've felt convicted that's a good thing right but what can happen If we hear so much bold and accurate teaching of Scripture, what can happen after a while, it'll start to wear us down. And let me tell you what I mean by that, okay? So imagine you have a friend that's a mature Christian believer. They're kind of mentoring you, discipling you, helping you uh, with issues in your life. You meet with them every week uh, over coffee. And let's say that every time that you meet with that person, they let you know where you're messing up, where you're falling down, and they let you know that you're really terrible at this this thing, this walk with Christ that you're living. Well, you're gonna walk out of that coffee appointment every week going, "Man, I'm not good at following Jesus." Right. So yeah, you do need bold and accurate, accurate t- teaching of Scripture. Excuse me, but at the same time, sometimes you don't need to walk out of church licking your wounds. Sometimes you need to walk out of church feeling encouraged. Now, if you always walk out of church feeling like, praise God, I'm super Christian. You need praying for, huh, huh, you know? And you always feel encouraged, you always feel uplifted, and you never feel challenged. Well, is that good for you? No, you won't be stretched, you won't be grown. But at the same time, if it's always in your face, straight preaching, man, it can just make you feel like, gosh, am I even saved at all? So what I'm saying is that is not a bad thing. What I'm saying is there has to be a balance. Sometimes when you walk out of a coffee shop, you need to feel encouraged that you can do better. And sometimes, man, if you want to stretch and grow, sometimes people need to tell you things you don't want to hear, right? So, yeah. Uh, Point number two. So we know that reasons Christians doubt bold and accurate teaching of Scripture. Number two, feeling guilty. Okay, man, Satan, he is the accuser of the brethren, is what scriptures say. Man, he will try so much to make you doubt the graciousness and the love and the mercy of God. So, what happens over time is we can lack assurance because we can't accept God's forgiveness. So, we kind of start to get get terrorized by our emotions and, and we feel like it's really hard to be forgiven, and we just let that guilt just reign in our hearts in Our minds and that can wear on us, that can cause us to doubt maybe that we're saved or to, to really doubt that we're um, the person who God's called us to be or doubt, doubt his love for us. Let me give you a funny story. Um, I, I have two little boys, my, my wife Brooke and I, we got two little boys, Lucas and Camden. And um, Camden, I guess, he learned somehow, probably from Big Brother. How to knock down the baby gate, okay? And so, you know, if you're a parent, you know that a baby gate is like a blessing from God, okay? God inspired that person that invented that thing, you know, because we love our children. We wanna hang out with our children. We wanna be with our children, but there's sometimes you just want that personal space away. So, the baby gate's like the viewing area, you know, like at a zoo or something. So, we see, hey, hey kids, you know, wave at them. So, man, Camden, uh, he'll be two here in a couple weeks. He squats down and he pushes his little baby booty up against that baby gate, and he gets right down low and he pushes it. He's pulling a Miley Cyrus move and he twerks on it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) And he pushes that baby gate and he knocks it down. And he's he's smart, you know. I guess he learned that from brother or something. So I promise you, there's probably times in my life that I've been uh, a little bit uh, too strong with my kids. I promise you, this was not one of those times, okay? And so I said, "I said, Cam, hey, buddy, we don't need to knock down the gate. And man, his guilt, it just caused him to fall down flat on his face. And he's, like, ah, you know, and just being a tight, a t- tidy bit dramatic, you know. But uh, sometimes we can feel that way about our guilt. And we can just sulk in it, and we cannot get over it and our guilt will cause us to doubt, maybe, if God loves us, right? So, man, lacking assurance that that God loves us, lacking assurance that we are, in fact, uh, believers, can cause us to have a lot of misery in our life. And it's, it's almost like a vicious cycle that can eventually wear down on us and cause us to doubt. It's that soul fatigue that we so often get. All right, so we can't allow Satan to invade our thoughts. And this is one thing that Pastor Farrell uh, wrote out as we we're kind of going back and forth and talking about this outline, he, one of the things he, he said was, if you take the holy requirements of God, I love this, and you strip off the love of God, you're going to doubt. If you take those holy requirements that God gives us, but you strip off the love and the graciousness and the forgiveness and the mercy of God, well then, you're going to doubt. And, and so, man, it's, it's all encumbered together Alright, so uh, we said reasons that we doubt today, bold and accurate teaching of Scripture, feeling guilty. The next one here is a shallow understanding of God's Word. Shallow understanding of God's Word. You know, if, if you ever watch the news, you know that our public life has gotten more secular. Um, and, and if you watch, man, if you just turn it on for three minutes, or if you pick up a newspaper, you know that secular means without God, so Life in, in general in society has gotten more secular, but they tell us at the same time that our private life can be more pluralistic. And what that means is um, you know, that privately in your own heart, you can believe what you want to believe. And privately in your own life, what's true for you can be true for you, but it may not be true for somebody else. And what's right for you is just right for you. And, and so we're taught that we can be pluralistic with how we live. But that's not what Scripture tells us. So if we have a un, uh, shallow understanding of Scripture, man, that can cause us to really doubt. And, and here's the thing. I, I wanted to make sure I address um, this type of person that's, that's here today because, man, statistically, I would imagine that this type of person would be here. Maybe you're here and you're just kind of struggling a little bit with the whole idea of Christianity. And you're just like, you know, I'm not really sure... If this, if this Jesus thing is for real, right? Well, we've got some uh, great books that uh, I would love to, to kind of send you to, some great books uh, to read if you're struggling uh, with your Christian faith. One of them is Don't Check Your Brains at the Door by Josh McDowell. Another one is Know Why You Believe by Paula Dell. And uh, another one that's not listed is Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. This guy actually... Um, Tried to set out to disprove Christianity and he ended up becoming to faith by looking at the facts. Uh, and so I would encourage you, man, if you're just kind of struggling with that, man, I encourage you um, to, to check some of those resources out. Um, you know, you and I could get into an argument about dove soap and I could say to you, you know what, dove soap floats. And you could say back to me, dove soap, don't float. I say, <laughs> dove soap floats, bro. And you can say, Dove Soap, don't float, right? Well, what can we do to test the theory? Fill up a sink, get a bar of soap, throw it in, right? Well, we can't really test the validity of Scripture with that. But the validity of Scripture has been tested. It's been tried to be disproven, but it has never happened. It is the most valid document that we have today of Jesus' resurrection. And it's lasted over thousands of years and so, man, I encourage you, if, if you check out the facts, you will find that Jesus raised, uh, was risen from the dead, and, and then you have to discover, what do I believe about what he did? So, man, shallow understanding of God's word. Man, know God's word. Know that it's infallible. Know that it is inerrant, and it's for our lives. Um, in Isaiah 1, verse 18, in the New Testament, God said this. He says, Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. So don't have a shallow understanding of Scripture when it comes to our forgiveness, right? You know, we're complete. We are believers. We are redeemed by His blood. So don't believe any other thing that Satan would tell you. All right, Isaiah 43, another beautiful verse. It says... um, and God, when God forgives us, it's complete, and, and this is a great thing to, to prove it. It says, I am he who blots out your transgression, says God speaking. He says, for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. I won't remember your sins. Now, when we get forgiveness of our sins, many times we think that God has actually completely forgotten. Okay, That thing you did on that Friday night that you now have forgiveness for, it's not like God goes, man, at at 6 o'clock I just kind of blacked out and it's a little fuzzy there for two hours. Like, No, God is all-knowing. So in the sense that God is saying, I will remember your sins no more, what he's saying is when I view that thing, because he is an all-knowing God, he doesn't remember that consequence of our sin. Even though we run it in our minds again and again, and we can't forget that thing and we feel guilty for that thing. God's saying, I don't remember your sin. It's as far as the east is from, from the west. When I look at your life, if you're a believer, I see the righteousness and the work that Jesus did. So be confident in that. So don't have an understand, a shallow understanding of God's word. But man, choose to really, really grow in it. The next one here. Uh, so we've gotten, we've gotten three down. The next one is temptation temptation. Christians, man, we can lack uh, assurance, and we can feel like, uh, you know, we haven't really uh, put our unredeemed flesh, um, or we, we can kind of wonder if we have a new nature in Christ a little bit, and we can kind of wonder if our unredeemed flesh is, is, is really a new creation. And, and so, you know, even though that we dwell in this fallen world, uh, we're new creations, But the scriptures say, in Romans 8, it says, We groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the redemption of our body. So we're new creations, but uh, unlike that nature, we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the redemption of our body, and the Lord's return. And it says that, in Romans 8, 21, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, and brought into the freedom and the glory of God. Of the children of God. We'll be liberated. We may have that gnawing at us. Until we're liberated. And free on the other side of heaven. So here's the thing. Temptation a lot of times can make us feel weak. But we've got to remember that Christ was tempted. And Satan will use temptation to kind of beat us up. But we've got to remember that Christ was tempted, but yet he didn't sin. And until our liberation comes, we'll be in that Romans 7 battle, that battle between flesh and, and spirit. And, and Paul said, you know, sometimes I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do. We'll have temptation to do that. Um, and here's, you guys ever hear the old Jeff Foxworthy, um, you might be a redneck if... Remember that? You might be a red native. Okay, so here's, here's kind of a, a lens. And, of course, this is not all-inclusive. But this is almost like you might be a believer if. You know, this is evidence in a believer's life that, you know what, um, that you are a child of God, that you are redeemed. And like I said, we're just cracking the book open. The next two weeks will really help you, um, uh, believers and unbelievers, when you're struggling with doubt. But, but here's kind of a... Uh, kind of a, a checklist, what you will, of evidence in a believer's life. So uh, you might be, uh, or you once lived in sin and you loved it, but do you now desire deliverance from it? You once lived in sin and you loved it, but you now desire deliverance from it. Well, then that's, that's a test of a Christian showing f- fruit in our lives. Uh, how about this one? you were once self-confident and trusting in your own goodness, do you now judge yourself as a sinner before God. All right, so that this is some telltale signs that you know what that you're a new believer. Um, you once asked, or I'm sorry, you once sought to hide from God and you rebelled against His authority, but now do you look to Him, desiring to know Him and to yield yourself to Him? It's evidence that God is working in your life, and if you can honestly say yes to some of these questions here, then that means we've been repented, you've converted, you are showing fruit that you're a believer, all right? And scripturally speaking, man, I don't think any of us can really repent enough, um, but we've got to put ourselves in a place where Jesus' grace wins and we begin to yield ourselves to him. So scripturally speaking, not one of us has repented enough. Not one of us has realized our guilt as God sees it. His Thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. When we judge ourselves and we trust the Savior for what he's provided, we're saved through who he is and what he's done. And a lot of times we hear the, God loves you for who you are. God loves you for who you are. I think it would be better said that God loves us despite who we are. Right? Does the Bible say that our our righteousness is really impressive to God? Or does it say our righteousness is as filthy rags? Our righteousness, our, our, our goodness and, the, and our good works and our good deeds as, as filthy rags to God just like our sin. And it doesn't impress God. It's the work that he's done on the cross and the work that we receive. For the next one is, is trials of life. Things that can really uh, cause us to doubt, to knock us off our horse is trials of life. I want to read a story. This uh, book is actually in the in the library out there it's not on the subject of doubt but you could pick it up it's called deep and wide by Andy Stanley and he's in this passage he's he's telling a story about how the trials of life can kind of extinguish our faith sometimes and he says this about Steve Jobs about his life as a kid he says Steve Jobs experienced a similar crisis of faith on the cover of the July 12 1968 edition of Life magazine was a disturbing picture of two children from the war torn region of Biafra, more than one million people died either from civil war or famine during that time. At 13, he was only age 13, right here. Steve found it impossible to reconcile that picture with the lessons he he was being taught at his local Lutheran church. Whereas the average 13-year-old boy would have struggled, uh, would have shrugged it off and gone on with his 13-year-old life, Steve wanted answers. His biographer Walter Isaacson describes what happened next. Steve took the magazine to his Sunday school teacher and confronted the church's pastor. He says, if I raise my finger, will God know which one I'm going to raise before I raise it? The pastor answered, yes. Yes, God knows everything. Steve Jobs then pulled out the, the cover of the magazine and he says, well, does God know about this and what's going to happen to those children? Well, the answer he received was less than acceptable. According to Isaacson, after that conversation, Steve never went back to church. But it wasn't the picture on the cover that undermined Steve's faith. It was his interpretation of the picture that drove him away. Now, Andy Stanley continues in the book, and he talks about a similar setting that him and his children and his wife actually traveled to a uh, a really poverty-ridden area. And he tells a little story about how his kids perceived it. He says, When my kids were 10, 12, and 14, Sandra and I held their hands and led them down muddy, sewage saturated paths in the Mathari Valley Slum in Nairobi, Kenya. A slum is approximately three square miles in size and serves as the home of over a million people, most of whom live in six foot by eight foot shanties made of rusted tin and mud. There's no electricity or running water there's a smattering of public toilets that residents have to pay to use. Those who can't pay use flying toilets, which is plastic bags that are used to collect excrement and then thrown into the Nairobi River, which is also the source of many of the residents' water supply. The children look just like the ones on the cover of that 1968 Life magazine that created such consternation in young Steve Jobs. But Andy Stanley says this, My kids didn't lose faith, though. Neither did the other kids whose families accompanied us on our tour. On the contrary, they came home motivated to do something about what they saw. So, man, those things that we can see and those trials that can happen in our lives and other people's lives, much of it has to do with how we will view that thing that happened. These are some things that determine how we interpret those events, those circumstances, those trials in our life. These are some ways that we interpret those those lens. Number one is our worldview. Our worldview is a big reason that that a big way that we help determine and interpret those events that happen. Right? And so we're all still really forming our worldview and basically what a worldview is taking the posture and saying, okay, I want to choose to see life and to see what happens on planet Earth. Through the lens of Scripture. And try my best to look at all of that through God's perspective. Okay? That is our worldview. And, uh, and so this series, man, this series will really help you uh, with that and to, to kind of help uh, shift your worldview and, and, and challenge us all to make it uh, more from the lens of Scripture. And this is another thing that determines how we interpret those trials that happen in our life. Ecclesiastes 4.10 talks about friends. And it says, pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. So it's really who we're doing life with, right? Who we're doing life with. I tell the teens, man, I said, your friends are like buttons on an elevator. They either take you up or they take you down. So, man, your friends, that really determines which direction you steer your ship. is how many friends and the t- type of friends that you have on your boat. So the things that determine our, our uh, help us interpret our uh, trials and circumstances is our worldview and who we're doing life with at the time. And we can become really spiritually unstable sometimes because we can't see the hand of God working in our trials. We can begin to doubt because we can't see the hand of God working in our circumstances, and in our tribulations, in our life. Now we're going to go to Romans 5, and Romans is... One of the most mature books that Paul had ever, had ever written towards the end of uh, his ministry. In Romans 5 it says this. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in the hope of glory. So we have a hope. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings have no purpose whatsoever. Now does it say that? It says sufferings, what's that word, produce something. Trials produce something. They produce endurance. And endurance, in turn, produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we're to rejoice in our trials because they can produce hope and assurance. James said, Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. So rather than you know, those things causing us to doubt, we should look for God and, and look for the glimpses of how he proves his, his power and his love in those circumstances. Look for his hand in those circumstances. So uh, the way that we want to handle those those trials in our lives is to be diligent and patient. Because the reward, what Scripture says, is full assurance of hope. And those trials, man, they're the instrument that God can use uh, to, to strengthen us in our lives. Romans 8 says this. This is such an encouraging verse. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. These are things that Paul is going through, and believers that he's writing to are going through. He went through all these things. As it is written, for, for your sake we face death all day long, yet we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. What he's saying is, you know, when, when you became a follower of Jesus, you didn't um, sign up for an easy life, you signed up for a life that was worth it. And you signed up for a life of purpose. And it will have those hardships, persecutions, and famines, and all those things. But uh, Paul had experienced those things, but he was certain of his relationship with God. And he was confident in that. So man, just to conclude today, if you're lacking assurance, if you've got that soul fatigue, you know, if maybe you you lost your joy, maybe you're useless in Christian service, maybe you're empty in worship, maybe you feel cold, In prayer, passionless in prayer. Uh, Maybe you're vulnerable to false teachings, man. Uh, There there is a cure for that, and it's obeying God's word and the power of the Spirit. I want to give you guys a couple practical things as we close, but like I said, you know, this is just more of the introduction, and I would encourage you to come back in the next couple weeks. But here's some specific steps to help deal with doubt in your life. Number one is get serious about reading God's Word get serious about reading God's Word Uh, Romans 10 it says faith comes by hearing did you know if you're just that busy and you don't have time to read your Bible which we can make time to really get into Scripture but your your phone can read to you you can download an app and it will read to you while you drive don't try to read it focus on the road now but faith comes by hearing And so, man, that's a great way to help kind of deal with doubt in our lives. The other thing is soak in the Gospel of John. You may not know this, but that's why we have the Gospels. John 20, verse 31, it says, These are written, these things, these account of Jesus' life, the miracles we see he performed, how we see he was raised from the dead, these things are written that you may believe in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Next thing is to feed your faith and doubt your doubts. Second Corinthians 19, cast down imaginations and every thought that rise up against your pursuit to know God. Bring into captivity every thought in your mind don't go around and around the mountain bring into th- to captivity every thought in your mind bring your thoughts to a point of obedience to Christ so man there's some fallout from doubt and there's some serious things that can happen if that doubt begins to wear at us man so I would encourage you to definitely come back the next couple weeks as we talk about the practicality but like we said get serious about soaking in the Word of God Uh, look at the gospel according to John. You know, it's kind of funny. You talk to, to a new believer and you kind of tell them about reading scriptures. Like, well, don't start at the beginning of the Bible. It's like, wait, what? This is a book I'm not supposed to start at the beginning at? Well, no, you want to start, and start with Jesus. Start in John. It's like, so I'm supposed to skip the first two thirds? I don't quite understand. That's a lot of authors, you know. So it's kind of a little fe- weird and doesn't make sense sometimes. But I would encourage you to jump to John because it says those things are written so that we believe and have life in him. Feed your faith and doubt your doubts. Can you guys just stand up in your seats with me? I want to close with this and... In Matthew 14, we see the story of Jesus walking out on the water to Peter. And and that's a very common story. Whether you've been in church your whole life or not, uh, you've probably heard that story. But one thing we don't realize is Jesus sent his disciples out on that boat. He sent them out there on that boat. He's like, I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go get some solitude. You guys go out. And then there was a storm coming. It's like... Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Send us into a storm, right? Well, sometimes we may convince ourselves that because we're going through a really tough thing in our lives, it's because we don't have enough faith or we're not strong enough in our walk. But it could be that Jesus is sending you out through that storm so that he can walk out on the water to you. And so, man, I would encourage you to take heart don't think you're messing up because you're going through something. It could be because God wants you to rely on him more and more in the middle of that storm. So he can pick you up out of the water. Now we all know from Peter's uh, mistake that he made. He took his eyes off Jesus. He focused on the waves and he began to, fit, to, to, to sink. But what scripture doesn't say after that is there was 12 and then there was 11. No. Jesus didn't let them drown. He picked them up and he brought them back into the boat. So, man, He has mercy for us when we fall down. He has grace. And don't let that worry begin to gnaw at you and wear you down because it could be the thing that God is using in your life to work in your life to stretch you and to grow you. Amen? Amen. Let's close. And if the prayer team, after we say amen, the prayer team can come down. If you want prayer, maybe you you just don't know if you're really and truly a believer. Maybe you want to make it right today. Maybe you need prayer for something else. I would encourage you to come down and to receive prayer. Let's close our eyes and and focus on Jesus right now. Dear Jesus, we pray that when we have doubts, when those things kinda tug at our hearts and begin to maybe to cause us to, to wonder, we know that you're not intimidated by those things. You don't worry about those things because we know that you've got this. But I pray that each and every one of us would have a posture and would have an attitude of not cynicism towards our doubts, not cynicism to, towards you because this or that's gone wrong in our lives or this has happened. But we would come to you with our doubts, just like that man in Scripture we see, and we'd say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you can do something in this. But there's a part of me that's doubting. You're not intimidated by that. You'll meet us in that place, Jesus. We're so grateful for it in the areas of doubt that we deal with, God. Help us to know that you're right there with us. You have the nature of a good, good Father. And we're so fortunate to have your grace and your love and your mercy that's poured out on us so richly, God. I pray you would encourage each and every one of us today as we walk out of these doors that we don't have to face doubt alone. We can bring those things to you. We love you. Encourage us today. And it's in Christ's name that we do pray. Amen.